0: Good morning. Thank you for your prayers for last week. I have more of a voice, or maybe that's an unanswer to some of your prayers, depending on where you're coming from with that. But um, I'm feeling better and very, very appreciative to be able to share with you today. Um, Before I get started, I I do want to take time just uh, to pray uh, some more. I know we, we've we've already uh, prayed, but uh, one, I don't think we can pray enough, and two, um, just things that have been heavy on my heart as I've read this week, and I know as many of you have read this week, praying for our country based upon uh, recent decisions, particularly in the state of New York. Um, again, uh, I, I don't think. Uh, when we 're talking about such things as abortion, that we 're talking about politics we 're talking about morality and of uh, God being the creator of all life and um, as as I enter into pray, uh, I just want to make sure that um, you know there's there's so much that's involved with this, and because statistics say that um, closer to one out of three, but more likely one out of four women have had an abortion. That doesn't mean one out of four women within the church have had an abortion. But I can tell you in my experience of being a pastor that there are a number of women who have. And so when we pray for this, this isn't to uh, uh, scratch off old scabs Um, This isn't to bring something up that has caused you pain. It's to be able to pray and seek the Lord that uh, we as a a nation might turn to Him and see life the way that He sees life. And to protect um, unborn children in the way that we protect uh, children outside of the womb. It's been heavy on my heart. And uh, I've also, uh, as I've been reading this week, seeing uh, another bombing. This one was in a church in the Philippines less than two weeks ago. And uh, 20 people were killed and um, many more were injured. My heart was breaking for Christ's church. And then um, uh, just a, a, a week ago, there was another pastor, I'm just up in Santa Clarita, who um, committed suicide, has been dealing with uh, depression and mental health, and uh, it's just, um, those kind of things just get me. And so, um, before we dig on in, uh, I just need to go to the Lord and ask if you'll go with me. Father God, we know that you you rule over all things. Your son Jesus is king of kings. And Father, you and the Son and the Holy Spirit are eternal with no be- beginning and no end and I know how your heart must grieve over the seeing the lack of love for your created beings and Lord um, I just want to come to you and pray that you would bring healing. Bring healing over hearts that have made choices and decisions that they regret. I pray that you would bring healing to those who might not even recognize that their choices are outside of your will and only within their own agendas. Father, I pray that today there would be one person who makes a decision to save life and not take it. Whether it be a mother with an unborn baby or whether it be an extremist, deciding on taking the life of one or more people just because they believe in something different than they do. Lord, and for those who are struggling with depression and hurt and pain, physical or emotional, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into them. I pray that you would bring a person could bring encouragement and love to them in their loneliness, in their heartache, in their confusion. Lord, may you help each of us to be attentive and to be open to however you want to use us, to the stranger we see while we're out eating, to, Lord, the closest person in our family. May we take the initiative just to show them your love and your care. Lord, I pray for healing for two churches, one in the Philippines, And one in San Clarita. Both grieving over the loss of life for different reasons. And I pray, Lord, that you, your Holy Spirit, would provide comfort in the midst of chaos. And Father, I ask for clarity for myself this morning. Uh, You know where my head's at, and uh, I don't, and I need your Holy Spirit's guidance, and so I pray and ask that you would give me recall and clarity of all the different ideas and things that I'm still struggling with having sorted out. So Lord, I continue to pray that we will continue to worship you just like we have in song and in prayer. May we continue to worship you in looking at your word. And may we land and always land on who Jesus is, no matter what we hear or what we may see to this end I pray Amen Um, Can't lie to you this has been a a struggle Um, I was sharing with with Michael Williams earlier and and so appreciated him praying with me Uh, you know there's sometimes when you just have so much going on in your head it's just hard to sort out and separate and uh At some point, um, I'll probably just ditch whatever notes I have and uh, hope that God's going to somehow make sense out of it, of what I want to try to communicate, what I think He wants me to communicate. And I hope that it can be in a way that uh, you can follow along with. Um, Back in August... We had a a pastor, a guest pastor, who came and filled this pulpit for us. It was after we had finished the Old Testament, and we uh, had just started, uh, we hadn't even started the New Testament yet, and his name was Mark Brown. Some of you might remember him. He was here in August on the 26th, and he did a message that while we were in between testaments, he did a message on this book. Though he didn't do the whole book, he did the primary uh, emphasis, the primary theme out of the book of Colossians. And if you remember, he he talked about um, that Christ is supreme. And the passage he was at was chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And he did a great job of of being able to bring out the, the gold nuggets found within Uh, that passage of chapter 1 in this book. And one of the most important things, that one of his points that he wanted to drive home to us was that the most important thing about you is that Christ is the most important thing. And I'll repeat that. The most important thing about you and I is that Christ is the most important thing. And he did a great job with that. And again, of showing us who Christ is in in this incredible uh, uh, poem, the messianic poem. And again, you know, I I hope, if nothing else, that um, uh, you take these home. And the reason why I say that is because I hope that you will not just take whatever you hear from me because I will be totally inadequate. And uh, I would hope that you would have something that's a resource. And the reason why I say that is because uh, uh, week after week, we, we print off about 120 of them, and week after week, we have a, a, a ton left over. And that's cool. I mean, if you're not a note taker, that, that's great. But I'd still encourage you just take this home and then maybe throughout the course of your week while you're studying God's Word and you want to recap over in Colossians as you see how they so succinctly bring about the richness in these different books. I would hope that you would take advantage of us um, providing them for you. Um, We have been so richly blessed by this ministry and uh, I hope that you'll just take advantage of it. And so I love in here. You could see I, I loved how they drew that that body, and they made up the body of a whole bunch of little bodies. And that's what the church is. And again, the the head Jesus is the head of the body. You know, in, in Ephesians, the the idea was that we were unified as a body, and and that Christ brings about this unity. And and in this book, it's that Christ is the head, and we can never be reminded of that enough. And so, uh, again, I, I was the kind of guy who was kind of struggling, going, well, what can I bring to the table today? And uh, what I'm going to try to bring is, is just um, some, hopefully, some understanding uh, of what was going on and why Paul wrote this book and, and help you to see some things and um, then allow the Holy Spirit to work in your lives with wherever you might uh, see yourself struggling. So... Uh, Uh, Before Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Colossae, he'd never even been to their city. He'd never been there. On his missionary journeys, he had never been to Colossae. He'd been to Ephesus. He'd been to other cities around there, but he'd never been to Colossae. And this helps explain the personal greetings that he included at the end of the letter. Uh, it was a practice he usually reserved for letters uh, of churches that he had not visited. For example, he hadn't visited Romans. It's a very similar ending to that book. And Paul sought to develop connections with the people that he hoped to teach and serve. He hoped that he would have an opportunity to come and be with them. Because the, the truth of the matter is, is that he was really the spiritual grandfather of that church. Um, a more personal tone at the close of this letter would have been uh, especially significant in creating a connection with these Colossian believers, given the fact that part of Paul's reason for writing to them uh, involved calling out the, the heretical teachers who had infiltrated w- within uh, this Colossian church. You saw on, on the sheet and on the video that Epaphras was, was probably their pastor. And the church was probably somewhere about anywhere from 8 to 10 years old. And Epaphras came and visited uh, Paul while he was in prison just to kind of encourage him. And, and, but also to kind of let him know and maybe just seek some help. Like, I, I, hey you know, spiritual dad, I got a situation going on at the church, and I need, I need some help. You know, I've been a pastor for, for 33 years, and yet I still feel inadequate at times dealing with the different things that come my way. I'm in awe when I see and when I think about the missionaries that we support. Pastor Aramias, who goes and leads people to Christ. He disciples them, and then within a short time, he is training them, and then within a short time, they are becoming pastors of churches. I'm in awe. I've got tons of books in my office. In fact, part of my struggle today is that I had too many books. I was looking at too many resources. I was too afraid that maybe what God was speaking to me, that maybe I was off kilter, and so I wanted to try to find somebody else who was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's really what I should be talking about today. And that, that comes from insecurity. That comes from not trusting Christ. That comes from not allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into my own heart and my own fears of, gosh, I don't want to come up here and and have nothing to say. Or to have something to say, but it be not very intelligent. And I'll still face that fear. But that's what happens at times for me. And so I I just see this young uh, brother in Christ. At some point, Paul discipled him. He came to know Christ. Went to his hometown of Colossae, and and he was the pastor of the church. And if you notice in there, and I'm not going to spend any time talking uh, about Philemon. Because when we get to that letter, that small little letter... The scholars say that this church at Colossae probably met at Philemon's home. And when we talk about that, you're really going to see this like double punch for Philemon. But I don't have time to talk about that today. And and where we're at, you know, right now in in this letter is, is probably about A.D. 60 or 61, give or take a year or two. And it's during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, and he had, you know, penned this letter to the Colossian Church after he'd received this report that they were struggling with a heresy. It's known as the Colossian heresy. The truth of the matter is it's a Christological heresy. There was a heresy that was centered in on false teachings that were infiltrating within the church. The report came from Epaphras, and uh, Paul wrote this letter along with Philemon and uh, along with Ephesians. They were all delivered back at about the same time, and was a co-worker of Paul who. Would have been able to help the Colossian believers understand and apply the apostle's teaching. Take a kiss with somebody. It's like, okay, I, I can help them out, so I'm going to deliver this letter, and and um, we'll see if we can kind of curtail this, if we can get this stopped. Why is Colossians so important? Well, um, because it was under attack from false teachers. I can tell you that this church has a rich history of Pastor Dan filling the pulpit, of Pastor Brad filling the pulpit, of elders filling the pulpit, of guest preachers filling the pulpit. Making sure to the best of of their ability that the elders know that the men who are going to fill this pulpit are going to be men who are not going to be preaching heresy. False truths, half-truths. Now, we might have differences in, in, you know, one of us likes one thing, one of us likes another. But when it comes to the core essentials of the Christian faith... There is no wavering on that. Things such as inerrancy of the Word of God. Let me tell you something. That is not so core essential anymore in a lot of churches. That is leaving. And so uh, this church has a history of making sure that whoever speaks is not going to be bringing in heresy. And what had been happening is that heresy was infiltrating. Not from Epaphras or from Philemon, but most likely from outsiders who were just kind of, hey, wait a minute. And they were just kind of coming on in and hearing, well, I'm not sure that's right. And they would give their point of view and Some people, if they were strong enough, again, think about it. They didn't have this at their disposal like you and I do. In fact, I, I think I have, I'm not even positive, I have at least 15 copies of the Bible. Plus, online. I still go online and I'm seeing more copies of the Bible. They didn't have that. And so, here's what happens. Um, Though Paul had never been to the church itself, he had to address these issues head on. The nature of Jesus Christ as creator and redeemer is non-negotiable. And he knew he had to tackle that. So Paul wrote to them that uh, he might bring his wisdom to bear on this difficult and trying situation. See, for us, we think, oh, that's not so tough. Well, I would challenge you with something. Maybe for um, most of us, it's not that tough, but um, I see a ton of cults thriving today. And what are cults? They take a little of this and a little of that, and they splash it with some Christianity. And all of a sudden, they'll even say, "Well, well, yeah, we're Christians." Uh, no. Just because you have a little bit of that, doesn't mean that you're a, a true follower in the way that Jesus describes it, in the way that Paul and the others describe it. I uh, just I, I couldn't get away from trying to talk about some of these things that um, they might have been facing. Big idea. Uh, In this book, uh, Paul described Jesus with some of the loftiest language in all of the New Testament. It is some of the most incredible language focusing on Christ's preeminence and, and the sufficiency that comes only in Him in all things. Only in him. Paul presented Christ as the center of the universe, not only as the active creator, but also as the recipient of creation in his taking on of human flesh. You know, we saw that in a, and we, we look back and we see in Philippians in chapter two, again, very similar. The first two chapters were doctrine. The next two chapters, how do we live it out? Colossians, it's very similar. The first two chapters are doctrine, and then the next two chapters are how do we live it out? When I, I spoke on, on Philippians, I was focusing in, you know, on, okay, the different clothes. Here in, in Colossians, I just kind of go, man... Um, Jesus is not only the active creator, but he's the recipient of the creation. And that's what's taking place when he took on human flesh. Christ was and is the visible image of the invisible God, containing within himself all fullness of deity. Because of his divine nature, Jesus is sovereign above all things with an authority given him by the Father. As such, Jesus is also head over the church. He's reconciled all things to himself through his death on the cross and making believers alive to God and setting them on the path to right living. And this proper view of Christ served as the uh, antidote for this Colossian heresy as well as a building block for Christian life and doctrine, both then and now. So what, what is this heresy? Well, you know what? Um, I'm trying to boil it all down. Uh, it's a mixture of Jewish legalism, where you had um, Jews who had made their way over into this area, and so they still brought their legalism with them. And we've seen that before. Paul's addressed that before, right? Hey, you got to abide by the strict dietary laws. Hey, you have to be circumcised. Hey, you know, you got to observe all the holy days. You've got to do these things if you want to be a good Christian. No, you have to do those things if you want to be a good Jew. You don't have to do those things if you want to be a good Christian. But that's what was infiltrating. It's just trickling on in. Right? Um, The mindset, uh, if I can put it into uh, our modern days. Um, I have one little itty-bitty teeny-tiny tattoo. What? What? I know, right? (laughs) Right? Now... Uh, as, a, as a youth pastor for many years, uh, I had friends who would get their ears pierced, you know, and they would say, Oh, yeah, yeah I'm a bondservant of Christ, doulon. You know, that's the Greek word that's talking about I'm a bondservant of Christ. And, and then they start getting tats and, and not this little postage stamp like I have. But I've had a number of people throughout my life. Um, just tell me before, oh, Pastor Craig, I'm so thankful you set a great example for our youth, and you don't believe in ear piercings and tattoos or, or any of those things that are of the devil. I've, I've had that many times. And um, I, I had one lady tell me, she, you know, just said, oh, I'm so thankful for you. And she was complimenting me. And I had to turn around and say, thank you, but um, that's not a compliment. And what I meant by that is, you know what, we can't judge from external seeing. And if you're going to take Old Testament out of Leviticus, and you're going to take it to fit your modern day times, then I was like, wow, then you know what, if you do that, then you're not going to be able to braid your hair. You're not going to be able to have gold earrings or neck. You're not going to be able to wear makeup. Because that's also in that same portion of Levitical law. So we can't just hold on to something and then kind of, oh, yeah. The same thing with dancing. Huh? Oh, is that a Baptist church? Okay? I mean, man, you, you, you better watch out because sex could lead to dancing. All right? It's just, it was kind of like the, the, the kind of mindset. All right? And so I, I, I put it this way. I, I tried to offer an alternative dance for my Christian kids so that they wouldn't go to their schools because they were saying, we don't want to go there. We don't want to be in that environment. Could we have a dance here? I said, I'll, I'll fight for that. <laughs> Almost died. <laughs> I mean... There were some people there. They had the nails and they had the hammers. (laughs) If the cross had been down, you never know. I mean, they could not believe. I would even think of considering of trying to have a Christian dance. Those are kind of things that just kind of creep on in. Everybody's got one. Everybody's... Heard of one, experienced one. So I just kind of use that, that legalism. You know, um, legalism. You can't wear jeans to church. That's a sin. Legalism. Okay, you can't wear, I mean, Chuck Smith. What did Pastor Chuck do? With Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I mean, hey, shorts, flip-flops, all the kids at the beach, you come on in. Why? Because he cared more about them finding Jesus than about, oh, what they look, or how they don't fit in, or, oh, what's the going appearances. And God used him to make an incredible impact. So if you get the idea, that's what I'm talking about, how this Jewish legalism also crept in with Greek philosophy. Oh, man, did Greek philosophy just come on in. Um, The the word in Greek is gnosis. And and that even, this whole movement, particularly in the second century of Gnosticism, was all about knowledge, was all about gaining all of this knowledge. Now, notice I didn't say wisdom. Knowledge. Knowledge. And and so that was creeping on in. And not only that, but there's this aspect that with all of this knowledge, it's special knowledge. I have it, but you don't. And you won't. Because I'm special and you're not. That's the mindset. That's what was happening. That's how these philosophers could then twist and distort whatever they wanted to because they said, well, you know what? It's, it's just because God hasn't revealed that to you yet like he has to me. Now, I, I, I have to watch myself, but I, I'm not a big fan of philosophers um, because I, my experience, and I know there's some great ones, and, I, and I'm thankful for the Christian philosophers. I I am. But my experience, even even with the Christian philosophers sometimes, is they don't care what side of the argument they're on, they just wanna argue. And they just want to prove that they're smarter than me. Doesn't matter what side they take. And they kinda like, yeah, look at that. And yet it really accomplishes nothing. Right, It, it it can just go around in circles. And yet, a lot of their goal is to make people feel really stupid. Now again, I'm not, I don't want to lump all philosophy into that, but in this heresy, that's what was going on. That was the mindset. And uh, it was at its infant stage. Because this was written somewhere around 60 A.D. And, and Gnosticism wasn't happening until after 100 but this is where it was getting its birth. This is why this letter is so important. Because we still see it happening even today, 2,000 years later, don't we? And so all of a sudden, it's like, that's a combination of those two things, and then you have oriental mysticism. That starts creeping on in. And with oriental mysticism, you know, um, Gee, you'd say, oh, we don't have that today. Uh, why is it that one of the most red sections in the newspaper is the horoscope? Astrology. Why is that? Now, listen, I love fortune cookies, and I'll tell you, I, I, I crack them open and I, and I read them, um, but I'm not basing my life off of it. Do you know there's, there's people that do? because they have no direction. So they're looking for direction from anywhere, even a fortune cookie fortune. But people are getting up every single day, and boom, they're turning to that horoscope section, and they wanna see, oh, what's gonna to happen today? Maybe what's, what's in store for me today? We used to joke about the Ouija board, right? kind of put your finger on this thing and you have the board with these letters and, and supposedly it's going to go around. Uh, magic eight ball, you shake that thing, you know, right? Am I, am I, am I going to pass the test, yes or no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you didn't hear me well enough, right? So we shake it until we get maybe the answer we want. Now, hopefully, uh, uh, A majority of us, if not all of us, would say, come on, Craig, you're nuts. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about here that was part of this heresy. It wasn't any one thing. It's this combination of all these different things. You know, uh, um, I I wanted to read to you, uh, and and just allow me this, Um, uh, one author, he said, "What, what were its teachings going on here? Um, One that spiritual knowledge was available only to those with superior intellects, thus creating a spiritual caste system. So think about that. You know, we can recognize uh, in, in, uh, you know, uh, Jim goes to India every year and we can recognize caste systems in other countries. But here was a system in which, oh, there was a, a caste system, a spiritual caste system that was creeping into the church. I know more than you. Someone else could be, oh yeah, but I know more than you. Ooh, mm, how do I get that? How do, how do I know more than them? And you know, things like that, and, and that's how you kind of control, right? You exercise control over other people because I know more than you do. So that was one way. But then he goes on and he says, um, faith was treated with contempt, advanced, agnosticism even taught that salvation was received by knowledge. Now, I'm not talking about knowledge that we gained or that they gained from the Apostle Paul or from others. Knowledge was that special divine knowledge. Then you start getting the mysticism. Oh, I got visions. God works in visions. Visions. Oh, I had dreams. If you hear testimonies in the Muslim world, I love when Tom Canavino will share some latest stories that he's heard from others on the mission field, and God is working in visions and, and in dreams. So please hear me. That happens. But when people are going to distort that so that somehow they're going to make them elevated more than Christ... You, you see where it goes haywire really quick? Well, Grimaki goes on and he says, advanced Gnosticism, Eden taught that salvation was received by knowledge. Adherents believed that they could understand divine mysteries totally unknown and unavailable to the typical Christian. Man, if you ever hear me or anybody else stand in this pulpit and talk about, well, I, I know some things you could never know, guess what? Shoot me. I'm not kidding. Shoot me. Because that's just falling right into that trap. I would be no different. He goes on, he says, another influence of Greek philosophy was in its teaching that all matter was innately evil. So all matter was bad. I mean, not just bad, it's evil. And so because of that, And the soul and mind were intrinsically good. This logically led to a denial of the creation of the material world by God and to a denial of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What what they were wrestling with, man, it it was so crazy as I was reading this. Their mindset was that God didn't create the world. He created aeons, A-E-N-S. Different kind of beings. And then they created beings, and then they created beings, and go on and go on and go on, and and what that was is really, that was angels. God created angels. And the angels then created the next angel, and the next angel, and the next angel, until finally that last angel is like, okay, he's far enough removed from God, so he created the physical matter. And you just kind of go, how does someone come up with this stuff, right? And, and because of that, because they believed that all matter was evil, do you see the problem here when, when, okay, wait a minute, Jesus left heaven to come to this earth and took on the form of humanity. Do you understand now that these people who believe that, that all matter is evil, they cannot accept Jesus whatsoever as the Savior of the world? They, they could never bow down to him. And you just kind of go, wow. The bottom line is he was reduced into a creature, perhaps the highest being that God created, which is a whole another lie right there. Do you know over 35% of people who identify themselves as evangelical believers within the church um, answer the question, true, that Jesus was created by God? Some of you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with that? Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is God. So do you see how just these little creeping things can can have such huge ramifications if they're not dealt with. The Gnostics were making an attack uh, upon the Trinity and upon the eternal sovereignty, the deity of Jesus Christ. So I, I'm just like, man. So what, what what were these? Well, to let you know what, what what some of them are and this whole blending of them. Um, uh, I've told you that spirit is good, matter is evil. That's, that's, that's one heresy. Um, another one is that one must follow ceremonies, rituals, and restrictions in order to be saved or perfected. We talked about them. That's that legalism. One must deny the body and live in strict asceticism. That means that, you know, there was people, particularly in that day, they would beat up their bodies, self-mutilate. They would go on fast because, like, oh, my body's just evil anyway, so I'm going to treat it so horribly. It's almost like I'm going I'm to beat the evil out of it. Ridiculous. But this is what people were believing, and this is what teachers were trying to bring on in. And Epaphras is going, how do I refute this, Paul? Hey, Dad, how do I I help them to see that this is is not who Christ is? Another heresy that angels must be worshipped. How crazy is this? Jesus Christ created angels with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, and yet this twisted turning is, oh, no, angels. They're the ones who should be worshipped. They're the ones who are on a higher plane than Jesus. And you go, wow. They also believe that Christ couldn't be both human and divine. We, we know that today. So many people, how could he be both? Yeah, it it is a, a difficulty because our minds can't comprehend it. That's where we do have to acknowledge. We step out in faith and we recognize that, hey, there are some questions that we can't give full answers to. Try explaining the Trinity. We do the best job we can with analogies, but still, we don't, we can't, like, nail it. It's one of those mysteries of the faith that we accept by faith because of how Scripture lines up, because of the truth that we believe it says and the consistency of what it brings to us. Another heresy was that one must obtain secret knowledge in order to be saved or perfected. And th- this wasn't available to everybody. Secret knowledge. Man. Have any of you had people like that? I've been around people like that. They said, you know what? Um, thanks for praying, but uh, do you mind if I pray now? Because I have a, I have a secret language. And in my language, God, God hears my language. Wow, Really? You didn't hear mine? Well, y- you just don't have what I have. I've been around people who've then prayed. I believe in the gift of tongues, but I believe in the gift of tongues, I believe that there's to be an interpreter of the gift of tongues. The person who's speaking in the gift of tongues, I don't believe, is also the interpreter of the, of the tongues that they just spoke. It's just m- my, my view what I believe scripture kind of shows us, right? So when people claim to have secret things, it's like, hmm, I don't think so. And, uh, you know, another heresy, it's even better to combine aspects of several religions. Um, Now, you ready for this other heresy? Part of this whole blending and mixing? You've got some people who are beating their bodies up and denying them of anything. Like they were living out as monks, as individuals, far away from everybody. Now you got others who are like, oh yeah, I'm saved. And because I'm saved, man, I I can do whatever I want. why, Why can't I sleep around with somebody? Why can't I cheat somebody? I'm saved. Christ already died for that sin. And so all of this was happening. And you know what? If we're really being honest nothing's really changed. It's just packaged differently. It's just packaged in a way that's almost like accepted easier, right? And so Paul deals with all of these things. Paul answers that God created heaven and earth for his glory, not for man's. Uh, Paul answers let's look. You know what? I haven't even gotten into Why haven't I been going to God's word? Look with me to chapter 2, please. Man, I'm a knucklehead. Amen. <laughs> Set myself up for that, and that's still a true, true answer. Um, look with me at verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. So then, This is after he's been talking about so many things. He says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, to continue to live in him, rooted, let those roots go down deep, and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. You know, this is the only place where that word in the Greek is used, right here thought it was interesting. You could care less. Which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And I think that is so key that people were so quick and they're still so quick to, oh, wow, yeah, that sounds really good. Oh, man, that person's really persuasive. Oh, what they wrote in that book, oh, wow, that's incredible. And yet, what does Paul talk about. He says, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of, the, of this world rather than on Christ. 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 The very next verse. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So all of you who said that matter is evil, sorry, you're wrong because all the fullness of the deity, no matter what different gods you might have worshipped in your past, the true God dwells in Christ. In verse 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised. Now, let me tell you something. That's not talking about a circumcision in the way it actually happened. He's talking about a, a circumcision of the hearts because the Judaizers were saying, hey, the legalists, you gotta get circumcised. If you're a follower of Christ, hey, you, you gotta follow the rules that we hold to. And, and, and Paul's right here he's talking about, hey man, circumcised, I'm talking about surgery of the hearts, not surgery of the genitals. And He goes on and he says, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Hold on to that because next week we're going to have baptism. Right now we know of one person. So excited that they're going to get baptized. So excited that they get to uh, take the opportunity to be able to. That's a statement of their faith that they're a Christ follower. I hope there, there might be more of you who are like, I, I, I want to take that step as well. And he's talking about this. And he says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism is just a demonstration that's saying, you know what, I died to my old self. That's, it's buried, it's gone. And I've risen, I'm new in Christ. Doesn't mean you're Perfect. It just means you are identifying with everything that Jesus has done for you. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism just signifies already who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. Do you see here all the wording that Paul is using that's now attacking all the things that I've tried to set up for you so that you can be more sensitive and more attentive to the legalists, to the aesthetics, to the the people who just had license. I'm going to do whatever I want. To the mysticists, Paul's wording is directly dealing with all of those things. And it's constantly and only focused and centered on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He says, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know what? I, man, I, 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 I got to stop. I got to stop. I'm sorry. Um, h- how do we apply this? Well... <laughs> Your view of Jesus is going to impact every single area of your life. Every area of your life. So, uh, what's your view? You know, a lot of times people today want practical instructions and helps for living, right? No matter what article you read. Hey, five things for this, six things for that, seven things for that. Everybody wants to have a list. They have to have it concise or people won't read their blog or they won't read their article. And, and yet, people don't want to talk about doctrine and theology, truth. Paul's view is different. We've been raised with Christ, and therefore we must live well in Him. And um, because He's Lord over all, the life of the Christian is a life of submission to that Lord. I'm struggling with submitting to Christ in, in all areas. But in that struggle, it doesn't mean I give up. It doesn't mean I make an excuse. It means I still try and try and try. Um, we're, we have an opportunity to uh, have communion together. And uh, with, with communion, the, the whole idea, and reminder is that this is a sacrament of Christian growth and development. I mentioned baptism. Baptism's uh, about Christian initiation. Communion is about growth and development and identification. And so the worship team's gonna come on up and is going to be leading us um, with worship music and I'm just going to ask for you where you're at. You, you know, the way we do it here is we've got four different stations. You can go up at any point at any time. And this is just your opportunity to be able to recognize that this is a simple act. And it's a reminder of what Christ has done. And these elements we take are symbolic. Symbolic. They're a symbol of Christ's broken body and his shed blood. So, please, um, whatever you might be struggling with, uh, whatever you might um, be confused about, uh, I want you to know that when we land and stay solely, firmly planted on Jesus Christ, that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. Scriptures give us instruction on, on, on how to take care of it. You know, how do we prepare ourselves? Well, we do self-examination. There's confession of sins. There's uh, also a recommitment. And, and in some cases, if it's need be, there's a restoration of relationships. Don't let your pride get in the way. And use this time to just draw near to him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, may you just um, challenge us in our hearts with, Lord, where we're at, the lies that we've believed, the practices that we have uh, um, abandoned, and the, and the habits that we have so easily uh, just allowed into our life that are nothing of who Jesus is. Lord, as we go to you in communion, we go so thankfully for who Jesus is, what he has done, and we stand on that truth. It's in his name I pray, amen.